I'm Jacob Kurtzer. And I'm Kirsten Gelsdorf. And this is Beyond Aid, a podcast that takes you beyond the challenging headlines of humanitarian crises. And dives deeper into the people, ideas, and issues that may help us find ways to connect to humanitarian action. In today's conversation, I speak with Radia Al-Mutawakil, co-founder and chairperson of Muatana Center for Human Rights in Yemen. Radia and I speak about pivoting to respond to the impacts of the armed conflict in Yemen, how she continues to motivate her colleagues, and why she believes that being hopeful is not naive. Raja, thank you for joining us on Beyond Aid. Thank you for having me. Raja, can you tell us a little bit about the motivation for you to co-create this organization for human rights? And tell us a little bit about your work. It's like uh, the passion to make a difference and to change when it comes to people's life. So Muatana is a, a Yemeni human rights NGO. We are a team of 105 men and women. We are not supposed to be working in the middle of a conflict zone, but Yemen now is a conflict zone. And we are working to document violations by all parties to the conflict because we consider information as our power. We consider ourselves trying to build a human rights memory in order to influence. It's the first step to influence. We have field researchers all over Yemen. And we document and then we publish. We also work towards advocacy and criminal accountability. And we also provide legal support for victims, especially victims of arbitrary detention and forced disappearance. And we have lawyers also in many different organizations and their different parties to the conflict. And we have succeeded also to participate in releasing hundreds of detainees through the war. So can you tell me a little bit when you started this organization, what, if any, apprehensions did you have about trying to take on this mandate to work on human rights? The idea of making a difference in the public I mean, life was one of the things that shaped my mind since my childhood. And then when I grew up, because my father, he was a politician and he, he worked in the public life and he believes that people should have uh, like a rule through different avenues to make a change. Uh, so in Yemen, there was like in 2004, there was a war, small war in north of Yemen. And then that was when I started to think that I should do something. And I started to write about these detentions and forced disappearance that is happening because of the war in the north of Yemen. And then the victims started to come to me and ask me to, to help them to do advocacy. And then I got engaged in the work in the field and I started to know what is civil society and how can this body and this kind of work make difference even among a war. And then I met Abdul Rashid al-Faqih, the co-founder also of Muatana in 2006. And he had the same idea about helping people and the, the, the strong belief that a very serious work can make difference in all situations. So we started together to build Moatana. We founded Moatana in 2007. We didn't know by then that Yemen will go through this horrible war that is happening since eight years. We thought that we will be working in a better atmosphere for different kinds of rights. But the war just shaped our priorities. But even among the war, we were 
lucky to have this platform to make change. When you speak about your motivation to start the organization, you talk about making a difference. And that's about making a positive difference for people's lives. Do you consider yourself optimistic in terms of both your own ability to help change the environment, but also in terms of the overall environment. Do you see hope for the human rights future in Yemen? Yes, there is always hope. And if there is no hope, then we will not be able to do the very hard work that we are doing. Losing a hope is not a choice for us. We cannot lose the hope. If we lost the hope, then what else do we have? Uh, Losing the hope, it means like to lose everything and not to try in order to make the situation better through your own ways uh, in different levels, it means that you are murdering yourself. Do you feel as a leader of an organization, you, you have 105 colleagues and you're certainly perceived as a leader within the broader Yemeni civil society. Do you also feel a sense of responsibility to maintain a hopeful and optimistic perspective as part of your leadership? Do you think that your colleagues benefit from your own attitude and approach towards these issues? It is a very big responsibility for me and my colleague, Abdul Rashid. He was the co-founder with me for Muadana and then he became also my husband. And so we are both leading Muadana. I'm not alone. And it is a very big responsibility, especially for me and him, yes, to keep this spread among the team especially those who are working in the field, to get very close from the victims and from their very sad stories and not being able to to give them a very direct help, it's not easy. Because when you, when it, when you work in human rights, it's a very long process and the influence is not direct. In most of the work we are doing, it's like advocacy and lobbying. It's not like giving uh, humanitarian aid it just like give you some satisfaction because you do something in the spot. But for human rights work, there is most of the time nothing that we can do directly. So we have to keep talking to our team that to believe in the work that they are doing and to believe that the influence will come and to believe that they participate in making the situation better. And with the very hard work, they can see this. It is not, it's, it's still the war is much bigger than all the effort that we do, that we understand this, but also to influence in people's lives in a certain level, it gives strength and power to our team. And yes, it is our responsibility to keep reminding them the importance of work that we are doing and to keep protecting them from uh, losing the hope. It's not easy and we are trying to do it all the time. And we have a great, I mean, team men and women, independent men and women who are really believing on what they are doing. One of the things that's most impressive about the organization is that it's Yemeni-led, Yemeni-founded, and you're working in your own country. And so why do you think, or can you speak to why local leadership is so vital for organizations like yourselves in these complicated situations? So, you know, if you just observe the situation in Yemen, there's no international NGOs. 
There is no human rights international NGOs. So if there is no muwatana being in the ground, documenting and publishing, then no one will just really know about what's happening in Yemen when it comes to violations by all parties to the conflict. And also having a very strong local NGO encouraged many international NGOs to to start working in Yemen through Muwatana. Many international partners and international media platforms, they needed to have a strong local NGO in, in order to be able to work in Yemen because the war in Yemen is ignored. It's not forgotten. It is ignored. And if there is no a local civil society in, in trying to encourage uh, international civil society, international stakeholders to pay attention to Yemen, then nothing will happen. If it wasn't, it wasn't started from the ground, then it will never happen because Yemen is not important for the international community like other conflict zones. So it needed people from the ground to say, hey, we are here, we are suffering, and these are the voices of victims, and we are documenting these voices a very professional way and you have to act regarding this. And so thinking to an audience in the United States or elsewhere, what should we be thinking about in terms of how to provide your organization the support you need, if there's anything to do at all? One thing that I'm sure that can make difference and help local NGOs, including Muadana, is to pay attention to Yemen. If you pay attention to Yemen, then through the, the body you are working through, the, you will try to do something. So we have partners who helped us in order to, to file complaint in international courts, for example, or uh, European courts. And we have donors who believed in the work who are, we are doing and supported us. And we have, I mean, journalists and many different individual partners who are trying to to, to support our work in their different ways. So just they needed at the first place to pay attention to Yemen, to pay attention that there is a country that is called the worst humanitarian man-made crisis in the world, and it is ignored until now. Yemen couldn't have even a criminally focused investigative mechanism out from the Human Rights Council, which other conflict zones like Ukraine has already have one. So it's just because Yemen, it's ignored. So to pay attention to Yemen and then, the, then to believe that Yemen deserves to be held and civil society in Yemen deserves to be held. And then you will find your own ways to support. You were invited to brief the UN Security Council about Yemen's conflict. What sense of responsibility or opportunity did you feel for your country and for your community when you had that that audience and that that opportunity to share your perspective with the UN? It is a very, very big responsibility and you cannot imagine how much nervous I became, me and the whole team, when we have the chance to, to deliver a speech through such important platform. It was not my first time. The last time I delivered uh, a speech through the UN Security Council it was not it was the second time. And I have the chance also to deliver speeches in the Congress. And every time it's just like the first time for me because it's a huge responsibility. And we know that we had the chance to go to these places because we are in the ground. 
Uh, we are strong NGO because we are in the ground. We document violations in the ground, but we still need to choose our words, our advocacy messages, our calls to make it very effective. We keep uh, me and all my colleagues thinking what should be said, what are the messages that should be delivered. We take it very seriously and we try to, to do our best. It's not easy, but I hope that, that our messages are delivered very well. You spoke about the importance of maintaining hope and optimism. What do you do personally to try to maintain that that forward vision or that sense of optimism for the future? One technique is like to work hard because it's like, it's a fact. If you worked hard, you can see the result. Or maybe especially in Yemen, if you worked hard, then you will see something. And to so to keep working, it's our way to protect ourselves and to protect the whole. So some people, they ask me, how can you still work among this war? It's very difficult. And I keep saying, it's like through this war, I protect myself. Because as a Yemeni citizen, if I am in the middle of all of these violations and I can't do nothing, this is a disaster for me. So my mental health is my work. When I, when I believe that they have this platform that I can raise the voices of victims and I have still have influence, it protects, it also helps me to protect my hope. And uh, in a personal level, I try to do nice things in the space that is available in order to keep myself like human, a normal human. I play tennis, for example. I go out with my friends. I sleep. <laughs> uh, so I do things that I, I like in order not to forget that I am a human and a, we are working a very hard work beside the very difficult situation that we are living in. And is there any specific success you've achieved or individual you met or moment in time that you would point to as, you know, this is, this is why we do the work? Yes. I just told you that in general, our work has a very, I mean, uh, the influence of our work is not direct. The very direct influence we do is it's through our legal unit. So to release, uh, to participate in releasing a detainee or when, when someone who has forcibly disappeared is, a, is a, a kind of happiness that I've never experienced in my life outside this I mean, package. So whenever we feel like depressed in Moatana, we go to our legal support unit and ask them how, how many people that we have succeeded to release this week or this month. This is a very direct, I mean, uh, result of our work and it gives us the strength, all of us. So because we know that we, we participate in releasing uh, detainees and it's huge. I mean, people, the families, the victims them, them, themselves, they suffer a lot. So for being able to, to help them in order to be released or, for, uh, or to, to connect their families is a huge success for us. And it's happening all the time because we have lawyers who are working all the time. What value do you see in talking about concepts of compassion, empathy, hope, and optimism while doing this kind of work? It's like uh, sometimes even in Western countries, we are the ones who are trying to give them the hope 
that this can be changed. It's not even them who are saying that there is a hope. We met many people in, uh, around the world who are saying the situation in Yemen is very difficult, it's complicated, and there is no hope. And then it's also our responsibility to tell them, no, peace in Yemen is very possible. If you pay any attention to Yemen, if you played any, I mean, serious role in Yemen, then you can see the difference. So it was also our role to keep uh, our partners feeling that there is a hope to change in Yemen. It's not a lie. It's fact. So I keep saying that Yemen can surprise you. So whenever there is an effort in Yemen, there is a result. And we know this because we experienced this with the very hard work and the very good results of our work. And as I told you, it's not like a choice for us to lose the hope. What leadership lessons do you and Rashid have in terms of leading an organization, leading people in a situation of crisis? Are there specific lessons or practices that you would want to share with our colleagues in the humanitarian sector about what it takes to lead an organization and to lead individuals through a situation of crisis? First of all, that you can trust people. Whenever you try to find independent people among a war, you still can find them. Now our team, they are 105. Yes, many of them that we have uh, trained them from the scratch, but we could find those people who has the passion, who are independent and not biased to any party to the conflict. So you can trust people and you can build on them. You never can say that I can't find the right people to work with. There are people all the time to work with. And as we, in Muwatana, as we have tried to be very independent, I mean professional in our reports, in our messages and all our products, we also uh, paid a lot of work in our good governors and building capacity. So we believe that we, as we have to be strong in our human rights work, we have to be strong as a human rights NGO. And we have our own international audit, for example. And we are taking it very seriously when it comes to administrative and financial work. It should be perfect. It should be like transparency. Uh, so it's not only about the thematic work we are doing, but also our structure as an NGO. So if we, and we succeed to do huge steps in this. So you, if you have to be strong NGO, there is nothing says that in the middle of war, I have to compromise. No, there is no compromise. You have to be right in all levels and you have to raise your voice to be strong in front of parties to the conflict. If you are independent, if you are working right, then you will be strong in facing all parties to the conflict. But if you are not, I mean, structured well in all levels, then you will be weak in front of parties to the conflict. You have to raise your voices and you have not to, I mean, sometimes some NGOs, they have to say yes to some parties to the conflict because they think that this will protect their existence and this will help them to help more people. But within the time, those parties to the conflict will start to ask you for more and more, I mean, compromises. So you have to be strong in front uh, parties to the conflict and you have to raise your voice and you will get some results, especially in Yemen. In Yemen, there is, I mean, a balance of weakness between all parties to the conflict, and there is a space to work. So don't be weak. You can't be weak in any level. 
because you are fighting in the middle of armed groups in a conflict zone, so you have to be strong from all levels. You have to protect yourselves by being a very strong NGO. Is there anything else you'd want to share with our audience about Yemen, Muatana, hopefulness or leadership? I want to say that also Muatana succeed to reach the whole world because of our international partners. Our international partners, they opened their windows for us and they helped us a lot, a lot. And we got a lot of benefit from their experience, experts and their help. So we alone, we wouldn't be able to do the work that we are doing if we don't have our international partners. International partners, it's not only like donors, it's like also the NGOs that we are working together. We have done a lot together. So this, I mean, relation between local and international platforms is very important. And we honestly, they have never let us down. I mean, states, like states, yes, they have let us down. They let Yemen down. But all our international partners that we have, we are working together, they have never let us down. They are help us to their maximum. And I always say thank you to all of them. If you are working hard as a local NGO, then you will find the right partners and people will be able to help you. And this gives us even more hope that we are not alone as a Yemeni NGO. Rajal Mutawakil, thank you so much for joining us on Beyond Aid. Thank you for having me. Next time on the podcast, we're going beyond stagnation to talk innovation with Chris Houston, former director of humanitarian innovations for Grand Challenges Canada, who will share stories of innovative global response and the importance of solidarity with conflict-affected people. Thank you for listening to Beyond Aid. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. To make sure you don't miss our next episode, subscribe to Beyond Aid on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.